With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. You know, one of my favorite topics is side hustles. I'm a firm believer everybody or a lot of people, not everybody, but like I tell my kids, for instance, look into other things you can do to make the so-called famous multiple streams of income, you know, side hustles. And I think that's where a large amount of the workforce has gone is into side hustles, side gigs. And a lot of times those side hustles turn into full businesses that you do full time. And that's the dream. I mean, that's what happened to me. I started my first side hustle in the nineties and it turned into my first business. It didn't start that way. I didn't think it would turn into a business, but it did. So I'm grateful for my friend, Michael Hearn. He did a whole docu-series about side hustles. You can find it at hustles.jamesaltichershow.com. That's hustles.jamesaltichershow.com and hustles is spelled H-U-S-T-L-E-S, hustles.jamesaltichershow.com. But let's just hear what Michael Hearn has to say about it. Here he is. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. Yes, we were just talking about AI. We're going to talk about side hustles, and this is relevant to side hustles. We were talking about AI with Michael Hearn. Michael, you believe that AI won't fully replace humans for 20, 30 years in some categories. What categories do you think it won't replace humans? Well, so I'll caveat that a little bit with one of the things that, you know, like you understand machine learning probably at a level that I I don't for sure. And one of the things that slows that down is when there has to be a human involved in the training process that's like, hey, this is a success, this is a failure. So training like an AI agent to achieve success where a human has to be involved really slows down the process. But if you've got things like AutoGPT, which is one of these new things that actually has internet access that can self-train and iterate on its own ideas, that's how I think we could see a much more rapid acceleration in the technology. Yeah, and I I might do a a podcast at some later date really Mm -hmm. explaining how it all works. But like ChatGPT, as an example... They took every piece of writing ever written on the internet, right? And, which is basically every piece of writing, period, because all, <laughs> all books are on the internet, and all Reddit posts, Wikipedia pages, tweets, status update, whatever. And it spent a year and a half doing unsupervised training, no mm-hmm. humans involved at all, in order to figure out how many categories am I really dealing with here? Is it just everybody's talking about the Beatles, or is there more than one category? <laughs> Yeah, And it turns out there's millions of categories. <laughs> so there's, you know, you could have a, some Beatle lyrics, which are about the Beatles, but they're also about girls they love. And it's about a girl uh-huh. with pretty hair by the beach and whatever. So there's millions and millions of categories. And then given a query, it uses the unsupervised learning to understand, okay, what's the context of this query and what am I talking about? What is the most probable response to this query given the unsupervised learning I have? So it's in like these 20 categories. So I have to come up with an answer that melds these categories in some way and so on. And then what happened was it wasn't good. So it did another year of millions of man hours of supervised learning. It hired basically workers in Kenya for $2 an hour to just say, nope, that output is bad. Mm. Yes, that output is good. And it kept feeding itself and getting better and better. It took a year. Yeah. And 
I don't know if future iterations will take that long because now it already has right. categories of data sets that are supervised learning. But you're right. Although I will say, very interesting, you know, related to all this is several years ago, there's a game called Go in Asia. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time on computer games, uh, meaning not, not necessarily playing them, but right. working on AI versions of them ever since like the 80s. And I was discussing, this is 30 or more than 30 years ago, I was discussing with Kai-Fu Lee, who mm. had, has since gone on to create Siri for Apple. And mm. then he worked at Microsoft, then Google. Then he was one of the first investors in Sina. So he's, he's beyond now. We were both yeah. grad students at the time. And I asked him, he, he had created the World Champion Othello program. And I mm. asked him if he would work with me on creating a Go program. Because Go was the only yeah. game where it was, people thought it was impossible. Like chess, people thought, okay, maybe in a generation, chess mm-hmm. will get there. This was in like 1991. Maybe people thought like in 20 years, chess would get there. Yeah. Like people, if, people would laugh at me if, they, if I said I was working on a Go program. And Kai Fu Lee, he didn't laugh. He said, but he looked at it, but it was too hard. It was impossible. He thought mm-hmm. chess, of course, was solved and not solved, but it was better than the world chess champion in 1997. But everyone oh. still thought forever. And I thought, Go was impossible for a lot of reasons. If you know how to play Go, you'll understand that it seems impossible. Yeah. And then Google created this program called AlphaGo, which basically did unsupervised learning. It didn't even know the rules. It just played through hundreds of thousands of games and it learned the rules and it got really good. And then it played itself another trillion games (laughs) and it just destroyed the world, not only did it destroy the world champion, it made moves and played strat. This is a very deep game. It made yeah. like, to be good at this game, you have to move in with a Go family at the age of five and basically <laughs> not see your family again. And you, that's how you start as a maybe a professional. Mm. And the world champion of Go, it played him. Not only did he quit Go after losing, oh, no. <laughs> like he was so shattered, but the computer made moves that were previously thought very, very poor strategic moves. And it turned out that they were much better than humans thought. So it reached a depth of knowledge beyond what humans could experience. That's why I'm almost reluctant to give any predictions. Although I will say it's going to be really hard for ChatGPT to be a good, let's say, novelist anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's that's kind of um, what I'm thinking too. You know, like as a copywriter, like, I had a copywriter who missed a deadline last week. And so I had to jump in and write copy this weekend for this upcoming docuseries launch. And I was trying my best to get GPT to like spit out anything that was useful to me. And it just can't, you know, like whenever you need to take something like, you know, one of the things that, you know, you've probably seen many times in sales copy is, you know, blind benefit bullets where somebody gives a very specific tactic and then you describe what it does, but you don't give away what it is. So it's like the one thing that gets you XYZ results so you can, you know, live your dreams. So I just don't know how to get chat GPT to spit something out like that. That's a level of like, you know, human creativity that I don't I don't know how we're gonna um, get it there. And and maybe it's that I'm not a good enough prompt engineer. But yeah, it's funny. Like there's already people are worried about it taking jobs. There's already a new job category called prompt engineer. <laughs> exactly. Like that that's the first thing I was wondering is if you did not like my wife recently wrote a biography mm-hmm. of herself and she said write it eloquently. And then she said write it more eloquently. And there are so many adverbs and adjectives. Yeah. I'm like, this is the worst piece of writing I've ever read. <laughs> exactly. It's like her obsidian mane of hair. And you know, it's just <laughs> like her her endearing and irreverent sense of style and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Like it was just so many adjectives and adverbs. It was like a mess, but maybe she just didn't ask the right prompts. I, I, I don't know. And, you know, I think with a lot of these things, it will be the combination of human and AI together that will create interesting results. And it is interesting though, how far it's come, but you know, in a lot of areas, like you take chess as an example. Yeah. Chess computers are much better than humans. Yeah. But the best is humans combined with a computer mm. play better than just the computer. Mm. And so I don't know why that is, but it's it's an interesting thing. 
But again, every prediction I've ever made gets beaten eventually. And, <laughs> and we'll see. Yeah. That said, though, and people listening to this podcast know, I was talking to Matt Barry, who is the CEO of Freelancer.com, and we're going to be mm. talking about freelancing and side hustles here. He yeah. said ChatGPT and AI in general has been enormous for freelancers. Like, yeah. And no, nobody complains. There's more jobs out there than ever. More startups are starting than ever, and, they're, and they want yeah. fast work. They want AI. Yeah. And like a logo design. I know a guy who designs album covers, for yeah. instance. Now he can do 10 in a day instead of one in a week. Exactly. And there's demand for it. So yeah. yeah, exactly. No, that's my prediction there is like, it really is. It's one of the best things that's happened for freelancers and, you know, a long time. I mean, you used to actually have to know how to do graphic design to do an album cover. Now you got to know how to write a prompt, you know, how to speak to an artificial intelligence. And then it's going to spit out dozens of options for you. And maybe then that requires a good eye for, for what's good. But you used to have to master all these different skills just to be able to create those graphics. And now anybody can do it. You know, the one thing I will say to humans who are a little humans, I'm talking about the species of <laughs> homo sapiens. But one thing I should say about to people, because I, I get nervous too. Like, yeah, I love to write. I write books. I write articles. Yeah. Will there come a point where I'm not needed? Blah, blah, blah. But one thing I will always say is, and this has always been true about AI, always will be true. It's the one thing always will be true about AI. Live an interesting life and yes. AI can't compete with you. Right. If you have unique experiences, then you expand the edge of knowledge and AI only works up until the edge of knowledge. And yes. now I did give the example in AlphaGo where it came up with some an idea, a strategy that humans never thought about. Right. You know, And AI does make up stuff up that's pretty good. Yeah. But I know for me, I write about my life and ChatGPT is never going to know about how I get personally affected by a story or something that happened to me. Yeah. And that's why people read. You know, yeah. People watch Usain Bolt because they want to see a human at peak performance. If they just want to see something fast, they would watch a rocket ship. <laughs> so yeah. people like humans with interesting experiences or peak performance or whatever. And AI yeah. can't replace that. No, no. I, and it can't do thought leadership. And the unique thing about, say, like, you know, Go or chess, where like there is a specific, very specific measurable outcome where, you know, with something like creativity or thought leadership, it's like, how do you identify success for an AI agent? Because if an AI agent doesn't know what success is, it can't determine whether to continue down that path or something. We're humans, we have the ability to connect disparate dots that come from our random experiences. You know, one thing that happened to us when we were three years old combined with something that, you know, you just said to me two minutes ago and this thing that happened to me 10 years ago when I was driving down a trail in a national park or something, you know, like we combine these different points of view and data points and then maybe some specific knowledge about a thing in order to reach these novel conclusions. And I don't think AI is there to where it's able to do that yet. No, and, and that's why if you look at the average newspaper, the mm -hmm. average, this is a classic example where I think AI will replace jobs or at least change an industry. The average reporter at a local newspaper, okay, this is what happened at the city council yeah. meeting, blah, blah, blah. Well, now you could just take the transcript and feed it into ChatGPT and it'll write a better article because it'll right. know the past hundred city council meetings and all the laws and it'll be able to refer to them, whereas the human won't know that. Right. But if I'm going to be an investigative journalist, like, oh, I'm investigating this politician and I met my contact deep throat in a bathroom <laughs> and he slipped this folder, like that's a story and that's interesting and that's reality. Yeah. When I first met Kai Fu Lee, again, this is the guy who invented speech recognition. And I was visiting the grad school for the first time and they encouraged me to meet Kaifu. He showed me uh, the system he was working on. It was for speech recognition only on a naval battleship. So <laughs> basically the first commands that I heard an AI respond to were all commands related to killing people very far away. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's like an experience that AI probably won't make up and I would be able to tell it in my own unique way that right. AI could maybe estimate and maybe it'll be good enough, but it won't be me. It doesn't matter how many billions of neurons it has. And by the way, the other thing is AI is not human. It, no. is, it is like the Google search query. So if you type the letter T into the Google search 
box, yeah. it'll say, do you mean the? Yeah. And if you write um, the presidential, it'll say, do you mean the presidential election? Yeah. Like that, that is only finding the word election because usually when someone says the presidential, they mean either election or candidate. Like statistically, yeah, yeah. that's the most common. So that's all ChatGPT is, but a million times more sophisticated. It yeah. is not awake. It is just a statistical machine. Yeah, and yeah. that'll never change. It's not like the Cylons on Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Michael, you're doing some really fascinating stuff with side hustles. And I, I yeah. know that's a big topic for my listeners. We might be entering into a recession. Everyone, and I encourage my daughters, like, don't do the typical corporate job or do it if you want yeah, it, if yeah. you love it. But that's not the safe route to go. The safe route is figure out side hustles that are recession independent and yeah. multiple, the whole multiple streams of income, blah, blah, right, blah. We hear right. about it everywhere. 
but you really have researched this. You're doing a docu-series about it. What's the state of side hustles right now? What, what advice would you give someone ages 20 to 25, 30 to 35, 40 to 45, if they want to quit their job and yeah. do side hustles? What should they do? How should they learn? How should they advertise? How should they brand themselves and so on? There's so many options right now. Like it really is this idea that's been building up in our society for a while now, this whole gig economy thing that, you know, I first heard about it, you know, a decade or a decade and a half ago. I think it was what Paul Zane Pilzer or somebody like that, that that talked about the gig economy or the sharing economy. It's just, you know, these these kind of concepts have, have built up and they've reached the level of kind of public awareness where most people, they hear the word side hustle, they know what you're talking about. For me, I sort of gravitated to it naturally. I don't know why. I have a good deal of Native American blood in me and I have a theory about how, you know, they didn't have the whole Protestant work ethic. Um, so like I was all about like, how can I earn a full-time income while working part-time and like enjoying life? Yeah. I, I was the same way, by the way. Like, yeah, yeah. I, it's not like I hated work. Like I worked right. very hard, but only at things I love doing. Yeah. And everything else I needed money. So while I learned whatever it was I love doing, I would just take the easiest, almost menial jobs I could take just so I could pursue my passions. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And that that's actually how I started my first side hustle was, you know, as a freelance writer. So, I, you know, like I was like, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur because it, at some point I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I was like, you can be an entrepreneur. Like, this is amazing. Um, you, can, you can actually like plan out a path to get rich and like have freedom. Wow, like who, why didn't anybody ever tell me this? And and I started playing around with it, and I realized that you know marketing was kind of the key, the ability to you know bring in leads and then convert them to sales, and you know that's that's what drove the business. And so I was like, okay, you know I tried some things, they didn't work, and then I went out and I learned how to do good direct response marketing, read some books, you know self educated on it, and kind of got that up like. It seems to me like we, we're very similar where like you you get like a dog on a bone like or like a scent. You just get laser focused and like you eat up everything on a topic. So I read, you know, like dozens of books over a period of, you know, like, you know, a month and, uh, you know, downloaded all kinds of like bootlegged courses and stuff online and like anything I could get my hands on about, you know, direct response marketing. And I was like, wow, you know, this is great. I can actually sell this skill as a service because every business needs this. And I can get paid to become a master of this craft of you know writing direct response copy and doing direct response marketing and and I made you know six figures for you know a solid decade just by doing that. I want to add a couple of things to that first off, we've done some episodes about copywriting, so if someone doesn't understand exactly what direct response marketing or copywriting is, I've done some episodes on that. Yeah. We could talk about that more here, but there's a lot of information about this, yeah. but this is a very good and very valuable side hustle technique because it's a skill that it's hard to acquire that skill. Not not as hard as some people think, but it is yeah. still a skill that's hard to acquire. And it's a good, um, you don't need it full time for many people, but right. you need it occasionally if you, if you have some product or brand yeah. you're, you're selling. Yeah. But then you said something very interesting, which is after doing it a long time, you learn how to teach other people how to do it. And that's yeah. often a great side hustle as well yes. to kind of teach what you've learned from other side hustles. Yeah. And just to mention, you did a whole docu-series on side hustles. I don't know anybody who's done that much research and that much work on it. I mean, we're <laughs> going to describe in-depth side hustles with right you could do right now without seeing the docu-series, but right. the docu-series, I'm hoping, will really fill in any blanks yeah. people might have. Yeah. How many episodes is that docu-series? Yeah, nine episodes, 27 people who are all self-made, most of them have a backstory similar to to mine, similar to to yours. Um, although yours is pretty unique, um, <laughs> you know, where you know we all had these moments where we were really just like struggling, and we had these periods of being like extremely broke, and then like we just kind of like figured our way out, self educated our way into starting something, and you have your first like breakthrough where you're like you get your first check or you have your first big event, and from there. Everybody scaled into six figures and and most of the guys in the series and and I don't know if I told you this, but we actually have an interview from you that that is going to be in the series really yeah, yeah, oh cool yeah it was it's Thank a great you. interview by the way, so people should watch it just for that alone and 
most of them broke that six figure mark and just said like, Hey, you know, like that when you get to that point where like, you know, money isn't so much the driver, it's like, how, how can I have a huge impact with what I'm doing? And that pushes the, you know, people to, to push beyond that six figures into seven, eight, and some even into, you know, nine figures and above. But it's really cool because you, they're all, you know, we are, we're all, uh, it's hard for me to lump myself in that group, but, um, you know, just regular people who, um, you know, it's just a very approachable format and, and everybody shares like, you know, where they started. Nobody has this big head like you, you might think some of them would. Just very humble and very practical, just sharing, um, you know, the steps they took and how their mindset shifted and the skills that it took to get, get through there. And what I love about it really and about this format is that you get a mix of, you know, those really interesting stories along with some of the mindset things, which, you know, as you, as you advance in your life and wisdom, you realize those are the things that make or break you and how far you're able to advance in any area. And that's, you know, not just when it comes to your finances, but life, but, you know, it's, it's very easy to measure when it comes to your finances. So you get the mindset stuff, cool stories, but then you also get really, really tactical stuff. And it's all coming from people who have been there and they've done that. It's not coming from some professor who's you know never started the business. I mean, maybe they've consulted or something, but they've never been in the trenches. Um, you know, learning. You know, when they make a mistake, like you feel the burn, like you feel the pain of it. And when you get something right, you learn from that. You, you know, get the thrill of, of success. Um, so it's this really just entertaining way to get a lot of really quality education um, from people who have who have actually done it, and we. Like there's probably like, you know, a couple dozen different options that are covered as far as side hustles go. So let, let's talk about that. Like, like, yeah. again, let's say I want to make, yeah. I want to transition to a multiple six-figure side hustle job. Yeah. What areas should I start to consider? Well, that's a very personal choice. So that's where you kind of, uh, and I'm going to borrow from the series, right? From the experts in the series, you know, where it's like, what are the intersections of your passions, things that you, you know, enjoy doing, the skills that you have, and then what are people willing to pay for? And so you kind of find that intersection of things. Some people, you know, that's going to be marketing. Some people want to sell services, right? Then there are people that want to be a YouTube star. You know, maybe they're, you know, they have knowledge on a particular expertise or on a particular area, and they can create content on that and become an, you know, an influencer in that field. But they might not know video editing, so they need to hire a freelancer to do or, the video editing. Or they can use, you know, an AI video editing tool these days to even like make so like, you know, circling all the way back around to AIs, it's making all these things more accessible. There's video editing AI out there that will like they'll take all the ums and the pauses and the breaths out of it. They'll put music behind it, they'll like do all the graphics so that, you know, it's it's it has that oh. kind of engaging effect. What's a site for that? Wisecut is one of them, for example. And I think there's another one called like Content Fries or something like that. So like if you're an expert at these pieces of software and someone doesn't want to deal with the editing or the posting yeah. of the video, they just want to make the video on their phone and give it to you, you could be a yeah. freelancer and charge X amount of dollars and, Absolutely. and do it for them. Like again, like someone might be interested in, in video production and directing. Yeah. And then there's these tools available, and so now they can do this as freelance. So again, what yeah. are the what are the first steps? So let's say, uh, like another person could be a, a coder but doesn't want to yep. work for a big company. Another yep. person could could love music and graphic design, so he designs yeah. album covers. Like right. I guess if I was freelancing, I'd probably I don't know ghostwrite books or something like that. Like I love <laughs> writing. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And so I think a lot of it is just like expanding your options initially and like something's going to draw and catch your eye and you're going to be like, Ooh, that sounds really cool. And then it's just a matter of like having the the courage and a little bit of the knowledge to step out there and try it. So, you know, the series talks about being a YouTube influencer. We've talked about some AI side hustles, but there's like, you know, real estate is a side hustle for some people, you know, Airbnb can be like a really lucrative side hustle for someone. Okay. So Let's talk about those for a second, because like, yeah. like stuff like copywriting and video yeah. editing, I feel like I could post those on a freelance site like yep. freelancer.org or or yeah. 
or Upwork or yep. Fiverr and I'll get gigs and maybe I'll get enough gigs I can start a company and and so on. But then there yeah. are things that are more like they they are side hustles but they feel a little more like businesses like like yeah. okay I'm going to manage I'm going to be like a concierge and manage uh 20 Airbnbs and yeah. that starts to be like a business and those are great but mm -hmm. how how do you distinguish between that kind of side hustle like is that just as easy to get involved in like what should yeah. someone do if they want to do that yeah so again like this is not my personal area of expertise but when I finished going through this interview like I would, I called my wife. I was like, "Hey, we're gonna get into Airbnb because <laughs> it's like so accessible. Like most people think you have to go out there and you know buy a house or like you know build a, you know build a house or like something that involves like an acquisition. So you got a down payment, now you got a mortgage, you got all these things. But this guy was actually teaching how you could go out and you could rent an apartment by the by the month. You know, get a year lease and then." Short term, let it out for you know by the day, and it's essentially that arbitrage between the monthly rent and the daily income that you can produce. And he's doing it all with the landlord's approval. He tells you know what he says to them to get them to say yes, because um, you don't want to hide it. And uh, that's something that he learned the hard way. Yeah, uh, but me, yeah, 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 exactly. But they they love it because like their their apartment's getting cleaned. Like nobody's going to let the grass grow in the backyard for a year. You know, like there's, there's all these things. And he's basically able to take whatever the monthly rent is and make that as a net profit. So if you know the landlord game, like that's far better a return than you're ever going to get. So if someone rents an apartment for $3,000, how much yep. do you think they can get per month airbnb yeah. it? And how much do they give to the person who's freelancing, managing the process? Yeah, so um, for what his rule was, if it's $3,000, you're going to make about $3,000 in net. Off that property. So if it's a thousand, you'll net about a thousand. And that's just what he's learned after doing this thousands of times. And he's got, you know, a, you know, a few hundred thousand students. What what's a risk? Like if I start renting 50 apartments and thinking I can do this with all of them just by hiring the right freelancers, what what's a risk that could happen? You know, you could rent in the wrong location, but you'll avoid that again if you if you listen to someone who's been there and done that. Um so you know, he talks about how to how to identify a good location. And one of the simpler rules that I'm just remembering off the top of my head is if there are hotels in an area, guess what? People are looking for short-term rentals. <laughs> um, you know, so you could wind up, you know, getting uh, rentals in an area where they don't lease or like you overpaid on, you know, the price that you're renting at. Um, but all that can be eliminated with just a little bit of research. And maybe it's not intuitive if you know it's something that you're just approaching as a complete newbie. But even just like you know an, a one-hour interview with the, this guy, and like there's so many little nuggets in there that can really just offset those risks. Let's say I'm my daughter, okay, and she's 24, yeah. and she's sick of working as a bartender and just collecting tips yeah. in New York City, and she has no, you know, she's never done any kind of entrepreneurial activity in her life. Yeah. How could she? start to figure out how to do this? How does she get clients and, you know, basically apartments to rent and, and so yeah. on? Yeah. So it's, it, what's cool is one of the ladies who's in the series, that's, that was what she did. She was, she was, you know, bartending at night, learning to be a massage, massage therapist during the day and like was hustling and then like somehow like wound up getting into, you know, short-term rentals. You know, she took years to get into it. <laughs> Because she had to, you know, she pioneered her own way. And now she's buying, you know, multi-million dollar properties, like several a year and doing high-end short-term leases. Uh, but, you know, one, you can watch the, you can watch this series. There's, I think, two or three people in the series who talk about how to, how to do Airbnb. But just like you would learn any other skill, like finding a mentor is one of life's legitimate shortcuts. As someone who's been there, who's done that, who can tell you, you know, start here. Do these things to get your first deal and watch out because if you mess this up, it's going to cost you everything or it's going to really hurt you. Or it's going to set you back. And so, you know, you're not going to be able to find that necessarily, you know, down at the coffee shop or, you know, if, if you're in a job, like you're probably not going to find that from some other bartender. But the wonderful thing about the internet is, you know, you can find these mentors online. And many of them are putting out free content. So, 
the internet is there. It's your ally for any of these side hustles. But again, I you know encourage people to watch the docuseries because it's a cool, engaging format and it's free. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Can you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. someone listening to this, I want them to basically go away thinking, oh, maybe I should do this or this. And they have yeah, the yeah. basic tools to yeah. start. So like, like, what can you remember from the person you interviewed on, whether it's Airbnb or something else? Like, yeah. like the Airbnb one sounds interesting because it does sound like that's a gateway into having a real estate business, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah, the guy started that one after he lost everything in 2008 and was like, I've got to get back into real estate. Now he buys properties as well as you know renting them. But it is, it's very accessible. Um, there are people that talk about being YouTube influencers, you know, and, and how people can, even with like a, a small audience, like I'm not talking about becoming Mr. Beast here, you know, like, or one of these mega, you know, YouTube stars, but people with a thousand people in their audience who are making a hundred thousand or more a year because they're highly engaged with that audience and they're doing certain things with their messaging to pull them over to buy courses and coaching and consulting with them offline. There's people who are creating info products and selling those online. And, you know, people in the series who are talking about, you know, like how to use different softwares to make it easy. There are two or three people who talk about Amazon drop shipping, you know, Etsy stores, Shopify. All right. So let me get really down to brass tacks on, on let's stop with the you know the broad stuff and go down to brass tacks on say the Amazon thing. I've written about dropshipping back in mm-hmm. 2016 where the idea is buy some like let's say you're selling shampoo, buy yeah. something cheap on like buy head and shoulder shampoo super <laughs> cheap on Alibaba in China yep. like yeah. for like 50 cents yeah. uh, a bottle and sell it for $19 in the US and you don't have to have any inventory you can just right. you get the customer's address on a site here but yep. then you have the chinese site alibaba drop ship it straight to the address so you don't have to have any inventory so that's the whole idea of right. drop shipping yep. how can someone get involved in that 
Because that yeah. seems like an amazing uh, side hustle. It is. And, and the thing is, is like you can, so we'll take Amazon. And this lady was talking about selling Spider-Man balloons, right? And so she was buying Spider-Man balloons and, you know, packs of a hundred and buying, you know, dozens of those packs of hundreds or maybe, maybe in hundreds of those packs. And she was, so she was getting her unit cost down to 50 cents a unit, but people were buying them for somewhere around like $7 on Amazon. Now, here's the cool thing is, is whenever she looked the, what is it, the SKU up, this on the barcode, she looked that up to list it on Amazon. Somebody had already done that listing. And so she didn't even have to create her own listing. She just sent it to the Amazon warehouse. So now it's prime eligible because Amazon is then going to handle all the fulfillment and shipping. And under that already existing listing, she's now selling and her inventory is being sold through that listing that somebody else did that's already got reviews and the product description and the pictures and everything on it. She's selling those things for about $7 and she's netting about, you know, $3, I want to say, like after all costs, like, you know, everything that gets taken out of there. And so I'm sorry, what's the product again? Spider-Man balloons. Spider-Man balloons. So like for parties or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm imagining like they're they're like those kind of tinny mylar looking ones. And and like and then and she got it on listed on someone else's Amazon page or like how did that work? It's because it's the same SKU. And so that isn't always the case. And obviously that's that's more of like a you know a limited, you know, hustle. But then there are um there are guys um from amazing.com who are in the series. Um and they teach how to you know build an actual Amazon brand. Uh, so now you're not just listing on someone else's uh, listing. You're creating your own listings. And you may know this. Um, I didn't know this before the interview. You can look up who is actually manufacturing some name brand you know, vacuum cleaner or some name brand blender or some name brand water filter. And you can go direct to the manufacturer and you can actually buy the exact same product but with your branding on it. Yeah, there's a public company, uh, Mohawk, where <clears throat> they went, they they basically they took these old fashioned brands like ice boxes, for instance. I forgot what the brand name was. Uh-huh. And they went to the factory in China and they said, look, from now on, every other ice box you produce is gonna have our brand name on it. <laughs> and they used SEO and te- Amazon marketing techniques that yeah, the guy who created ice boxes for 200 years didn't really know yep. and like dominated the first two pages of Amazon within 48 hours of starting that skew. Exactly. And so there's, you know, and that's for people that, you know, want to build something beyond just, you know, like, you know, you know, the kind of easier layup things. And I'm not saying that's all that lady does, but, you know, you can actually build and their, their students they have an incredible track record of getting people up to six figures within six months, working one to two hours a day on weekdays doing just that. Um, and, and then the benefit to that is you're also building a brand. And so if you do that and you reinvest over a series of years, now you've got like that intangible asset that has also got value as well. And these e-commerce businesses are selling like hotcakes or they were, um, last I looked into it. So if you want to actually then sell your business and have an exit event and put, you know, seven figures or multiple seven figures in your, in your bank accounts, you can do that with an Amazon store. Um, <laughs> so how how do you how do you get people traffic to your store? So well, that's the good thing about Amazon, right? Is it's got millions, probably hundreds of millions of visitors going there every single month looking to buy something. So that's one of the things they talk about is like how do you identify using the tools that Amazon provides you where the demand is? Um, because you know, I like to quote Gary Halbert, who was a famous, infamous, probably better word, uh, copywriter. And he asked, you know, like, what would you want if you had a hot dog stand? If you had one wish, what would you wish for if you had a hot dog stand? And he'd get all kinds of answers. And then he would say, a starving crowd. Like, that's what you're doing. Because if you got a starving crowd, you're going to sell all of your hot dogs really quickly. (laughs) So that's what Amazon is. It's a starving crowd. But like, but there is so many stores on Amazon. Like, let's say there's yeah. a thousand stores that sell Spider-Man balloons. Like, yeah. how do I get mine noticed? Or am I just gonna 
Like I'm worried I'll just waste my time learning all these drop shipping things and then I just can't get any traffic. Yeah, and that's where you know the, the, there is some science and some art to it where you need to find something with high demand but that doesn't that's not so saturated with sellers that you're just going to get dominated. But then there are things that you can do when you launch that will get you to the top of the listings very quickly. So one of those things is like if you do use good copywriting and good graphics and use use like images that handle objections before they even enter the customer's mind. So if you do these things that get your product to convert when you first launch, you know, it's almost like the, like YouTube or, you know, other social media platforms and their algorithms where if your video gets high engagement and high views, you're going to rise up the rank, you're going to get more and get you're going to get distributed to a wider audience and like you know that's how things go viral same thing on on amazon where if your conversion rates are high off the first traffic they're going to move you up in the rankings you know then that's going to continue to expand and so what they were teaching and and i don't remember all the details but you know the conversion rate was one of them they were talking about a hidden field like that only sellers can see that broadens your reach there are these things you can do so where you can actually compete against big brands and you can get to the top of the rankings in just a couple of weeks. Um, but it, it, that then goes back to like knowing some of these hacks. Do you teach some of this in the docuseries? Yeah, they're, they're, they're covered. You remember like one hack, like I could, let's say I want to sell t-shirts on Amazon. What's one hack? Like, J, like Jay right now is selling t-shirts on Etsy. Yeah. What's one hack you can use to get more customers? So on Etsy, um, you know, there was a lady who <laughs> um, started off selling things, um, and I think she she sells on Etsy. I'm I'm not I don't remember. There were there's so many interviews I've been to in the last week or so that um, it's hard to remember all the details. You know, when it comes to to Amazon, like having that listing dialed in using direct response tactics, persuasive tactics, good copy. Oh, okay. When you say direct response, but that means you're like emailing somebody. How do you get the list to email somebody? Yeah, so, well, you can do that. And that is another, like, probably hack that, that works well. So if you do have an email list, you list something on Amazon, you can push people to go buy it. That's going to push you up in the rankings because your conversions are going to be high. But I'm thinking more like, when I say direct response copy, that would be benefits. Not just talking about the features of your product, but talking about the benefits and what that's going to let your customers do once they own your product. Focusing on calls to action, things like that, generating customer reviews early, things that you can do to maybe incentivize that even to get those reviews there because that's where most people scroll first, as at least I do, to go check out the reviews. So anything that you can do to boost your conversions is going to push you up in the rankings because you're going to get more distribution. I can't necessarily say what would work for t-shirts because maybe t-shirts is the absolute wrong product to pick to sell on Amazon, for example. But I do know like, you know, on Etsy, um, this lady was going to throw away some stuff and she decided to list it online and she sold it like that night for like 600 bucks. And then she found a piece of wood that was like out behind her garage and she chopped it up in a little one inch by one inch blocks and sold like thousands of them, like not off that one stick, obviously, but like it was craft stuff. And and how was she able to create? I mean, there's this concept of authentic demand. Like how was she able to find the audience that demanded her product? With Amazon, they give you analytics tools to do that. So that's where, you know, getting some, you know, actual like, you know, course type knowledge is going to like be beneficial to you because the, the Amazon backend dashboard, when you create a seller account is going to show you like, you know, almost like a keyword search tool. 10 million people type in this you know, product every single month. And then so there's that, but then there's also like how many people are selling that. And so being able to analyze that stuff in the dashboard is where the education is going to come into play. And that's something that, again, like for learning by, by watching these interviews is do that stuff before you buy your product. So Etsy, again, is a whole different critter. Like I think that I think they're like a lot of what works is your artistic value. And a lot of, and sometimes it's counterintuitive what might help um, sell more. Uh, Vern Harnish is in the series um, and he talks about pricing in there. And he talks about how a company 
just couldn't sell their their service offering at $30,000 a year. But whenever they raised the price to $300,000 a year, everybody wanted to buy and they could barely keep up with the demand. So perhaps Jay should raise his prices on his t-shirt. Will then it show up like under a different search category or like how will that, how will that really work? So what that would do um, potentially is give a higher sense of perceived value. And then, you know, it wouldn't necessarily move him to a different category. But, you know, we know that expensive things are worth more, right? That's the, that's the way our brain works. But still, how, how would the discovery work in that situation? Like how would discovery work? Right. So for that one, I think, you know, with him already being on there, like you're kind of past that point. Yeah. And that's why I value these these interviews and these series and learning from experts, right? Is because you avoid getting into a situation where you're now trying to fix something that's broken. And and I'm not saying that Jay's t-shirt thing is broken, but without having like done the research beforehand to say like, hey, this is definitely, you know, the marketplace I should be using. This is definitely the product I should be using. This is the type of like, you know, subcategory. So you know, like, is it political t-shirts? Uh, maybe political t-shirts is the way to go right now because that's every, everything's so hot. But, you know, you can't say that just off the top of your head. You have to actually dive in and look into the data and let the data tell you something. Is there any website, and maybe you go over this in the docuseries, is there any mm-hmm. website that tells you, oh, these are the latest hot dropshipping products? So there were a few specific sites that were mentioned in the series. I know Alibaba was mentioned in there, but I don't think that's going to tell you that information. I think really the secret um, is to get into the platform and look at the analytics being like, you know, what, how many people are searching for this every month? How many competitors are there in this category? And I think that is available. Like even on Amazon, I think that might be available. Yeah, absolutely. You just have to create a seller account. And then you can get in there right away. So again, there's like it's like almost like there's two or maybe three categories of these side hustles, and there's like the kind of the basic freelance thing where oh, I'm gonna I can do your logo for two hundred dollars in three days, and and yeah. that's like on Upwork or Fiverr, and and then there's like the coders are on there, ghostwriters yep. are on there, yep. website developers are on there. I need a website that looks like yep. Twitter. Uh, Social media managers, yeah, yeah, all all those things, like, yeah. And then there's the kind of side hustle that starts off as like a really small one-person business, but then gradually expands. And even, by the way, those freelancing gigs, like for instance, you you could special, I know one person who did Instagram accounts for dentists, like that was their niche. Yeah, yeah. And it was a couple living in Florida, they quit their jobs. And like they made a million bucks their first year because they would go in and like film yeah. dental procedures and show that this dentist was safer than this or you're yeah. less painful than this dentist. Uh-huh. And then they eventually expanded and they had to hire employees. They got dentists around the country. And so yeah. even those types of freelancing can turn into a real business, yeah, which absolutely. ultimately is how you make those seven-figure exits. And then there are sites like flippa.com or empireflippers.com right. where you can list those businesses and sell them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are. I mean, let's see. So there was an influencer, there's AI, info products and expert type stuff, um, selling your services. There was real estate. So Airbnb, rentals, commercial, even traditional like landlord stuff, uh, affiliate marketing, selling other people's products. And there were, you know, a bunch of different ways to do that. Okay. Let, let's talk about that for a second. So affiliate marketing is like, let's say someone has. They're selling sneakers, like really high-end, expensive sneakers. Yeah. And I put a link to them on a blog post. And then anyone who uses it, it's a special affiliate link. And anyone right. who uses that link and software tracks this, anyone who uses that, that link gets 50% of whatever they buy on the yeah. shoes, sneakers, sellers site. So that's affiliate yeah. marketing. We've covered this on the podcast before. Yeah. But like, you know, how do you get the audience who's going to want to, you know, you have to have a lot of people read what you're writing or yep. or something to get the these affiliate deals working. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of goes back to um, you know, you can be a YouTube star, you can be, you know, an Instagram influencer, you could so there's social media, right? And so if you understand how to, you know, get engagement and views on social media, but then there's building an email list. So you can pull people off of social media who are interested in high-end sneakers and put them on an on an email list. Um, or if it's, you know, something related to health, you could put out, you know, some sort of a health report that people can sign up to get or, 
you know, same thing with finance, you know, give away a, fi- a report on, you know, top stocks and the tech sector or whatever and get people to exchange their email address for that. And now you've got, but, but basically what you're doing, whatever platform, and, and I, I personally think email is the, the superior form, uh, even in this, this day and age, um, but, but also text, you know, SMS, instant messenger, all these different ways. Once you have that audience, at that point, you know, just sending one message and it getting in front of a million people or a hundred thousand people or whatever the number is, 10,000, 5,000 is what's going to get you enough people to click on your affiliate link to go look at the product. A percentage of them are going to buy it. And then you're going to get a commission because they used your affiliate link. And so it's all about building the audience. What are some of the most astounding success stories you've seen? I mean, affiliate marketing sounds pretty cool, but like what's... yeah. What are some really great success stories in affiliate marketing yeah. or in other side hustles? So there's a guy named Igor who was an affiliate marketer. He grew up in Ukraine at the fall of the Soviet Union. His parents like invested with some like like Russian mobster money, lost the money, went to Israel, were super just like dirt poor. He was working in a toxic waste factory and started doing affiliate marketing. And within a matter of months, was able to get his income up to $10,000, which like was life-changing to say the least because they were going negative every month. And so he did that. 10,000 a month. Yeah. Yeah. 10,000 a month and like quit his job, never looked back. Um, And now he does way more than that. He does way more than that every month. How did he build, like what was he selling? How did he build up his list of names? Yeah. um, So he does... um, what he calls e-farming and he's building email lists and he's doing that by getting other people with email lists to promote something that he's giving away for free. So, you know, he may have a free report and I actually don't know what niches he's in, but well, I do know one of the niches because he teaches affiliate marketing. And so right now there's a lot of people in the real estate space who are who have big email lists, who are pushing people to go check out Igor's stuff. And they're signing up to Igor's email list. And then ultimately, like a percentage of them are buying his, his course on affiliate marketing. But then he, once he's got that email data, like he can continue to present products to them for, as an affiliate. And, and the, what he's giving away is this e-farming technique. And that's what he's teaching people. And so, you know, at that point, it then becomes about maintaining a good relationship with your email list. Be sure that you're providing value and things like that, not just always asking and, you know, pitching something, right. but, but providing value, you know, this stuff. Like, I'd like to take his course on, on, on farming, you know, these lists, but is this covered in your docuseries? Yeah, he goes into it. Uh, he goes into it at a high level. I like the format. For two reasons, like the things I've talked about already where like you are going to pick up some mindset stuff, you're going to pick up some big picture stuff, you're going to pick up some really tactical stuff, like the kind of stuff you're asking about. But you're also going to get exposed to like a dozen, probably a couple dozen different types of opportunities. And even say selling on Amazon, there's like five different ways to do that and five like multiple levels of involvement for each and multiple levels of investment for each. You know, same thing in real estate. There's lots of different ways to get in it. Um, there's, you know, investing and trading is covered in there, like for income uh, and entrepreneurship. So there's all these different options. So that's the second reason I really like this format of the docuseries format is because it exposes you and it gives you enough information so that you're not a rookie and you're not going to go make completely dumb mistakes. But more so than that, it's going to like you're going to see 27 different people talk about how they started their journey, what they're doing, and something is going to click. And you're going to be like, hey, that's cool. I think I could do that. I think I would enjoy doing that. And so at that point, your wheels are spinning. You got a little bit of knowledge, but at that point, it's time to go deeper, right? It's time to not zone in on one thing to start off with and get good at that. And that's where. Maybe it's affiliate marketing. Maybe it's drop shipping. Maybe it's Airbnb. Maybe it's commercial real estate. Like maybe it's day trading. But when you find that thing at that point, it's time to go deeper and get you know some self education. And if if you have the money to invest in courses and training, then that's great. I kind of think this is where the economy is going right now. Like the unemployment rate is really low, and yet at the same time, people are saying, "Oh, we're in a recession. We're in a recession." <laughs> 
the unemployment rate can't be this low in a recession. Like recessions are known for high employment rates. That's almost what defines a recession. And I kind of think what's happening is these people are off the books now. Like they're doing freelance work. They're doing side hustles. And and what's the role of like chat? How many people now are using like ChatGPT for their side hustles or some AI like MidJourney or Dolly or whatever? Yeah, I think a lot of people are. Um, You know, as far as like in the series itself, I think we probably had like five or six people who talked about it specifically. I talked about it um, quite a bit. Yeah, so I, you know, it was talked about, but I mean, you know, Chat GPT, what it's got like a hundred million users or something like that. Forget the exact number. So you got to assume not all of them are like you know teenage kids asking it about you know dumb questions. <laughs> and and this is related to like what we were talking about earlier. Like mm-hmm. if I want, let's say I had a company and I wanted to make a logo. I yeah. just I wouldn't ask ChatGPT, hey, make my logo because I'm not a designer, so I don't know if the logo's going to be yeah. good or not. No matter how many people tell me, oh, they make better logos than humans, I think I still need a human to kind of, like you say, be the prompt engineer, yeah. so it makes the logo that fits my personality and my brand exactly. and so on. So I yeah. don't see, and this is not an advertisement for freelancers, but I just don't see ChatGPT replacing people with real artistic talent. Yes, yeah. AI can make a Mozart sonata that sounds just as good as Mozart, but yeah. I don't know. There's some there's something yeah. different. Like when so, I need something and it's my brand and I need it. Yeah. I need help from a human to to know that it's just Absolutely. like it's just like AI forever has been able to read X-rays better than human doctors. Like yeah. AI could read a, an X-ray and tell you if you have cancer or not. But it's the law that humans have to be the one to tell you because mm. humans help you understand it and process it and and so on. And yeah. AI just doesn't do that, at least yet, maybe never. And so yeah. I think there's still a very important role for, for humans in all of this. Oh, absolutely. What, what I think it does do is it brings efficiency. So maybe you have someone who is like, they know what a good logo looks like. But they don't know how to use, um, you know, Adobe uh, InDesign or Photoshop or whatever. So now that person, instead of having to go, you know, get a team or like rely on someone else to come up and do that tech work, they can go and prompt, um, you know, Dali or something like that to provide a, a set of logos, and then they can say like this, you know, I like this one. You know, but change this about it, yeah. and and they can. It, so it just removes the technical hurdles and the friction that it would take for someone who is maybe you know like that high level you know brand marketer, brand expert. Now they don't have to rely on a technician. So um, you know, there's that. Uh, but at the same time, there's people on Upwork or Freelancer.com who are looking for a technician, and that technician doesn't have to be a technician anymore. So it can be. A really great assistant, um, an empowering tool, and and kind of going back all the way back to the beginning of, you know, it's the human plus the AI that's going to beat either the human without the AI or the AI by itself. So it's that human AI combination, and that's where that's where we are. I hope it's where we stay, you know, um, for for a while because um, you know the thought of um, you know like true general artificial intelligence is is kind of scary. Everybody keeps saying, "Oh, that's going to happen." It's not going to happen. Like, nah. you, you know, a, a computer vision program will never suddenly wake up and say, "Oh, that apple looks like it tastes good." Like that, it's, <laughs> it, it, AI is made. All AI, even ChatGPT, right now is made for one purpose only. Um, that might change because ChatGPT has so much content. Like it, it can compose sonatas and write code and, yeah, yeah. and do what seems like generalized. But that's only because all of those things are text written on the internet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't I don't see it either. I, I think uh, and I've had some people argue with me that, you know, not, not in anything and I'm like, you know, in a good-natured sort of way. There are people that think that gener- artificial general intelligence is already out there and that it's being used by some super high-level people. I just don't see it. Um, I don't see it as being being possible. Only if all the programs are kind of stitched together, like if you stitch together Midjourney and ChatGPT and yeah, copy.ai and 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 all these things, but they're all very different programs. They, again, they're it's all statistics. It's like how much data do you have, and then given a new piece of data, what is the 
highest probability next piece of data. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's where like you know like if a computer you know you talked about computer vision, which is cool, and if a computer does see an apple, it's not going to think about it the way that a human would if it were like generally intelligent. As a matter of fact, like what sort of like you know paradigm would a would a general intelligence that's not human be operating from? You know, like it wouldn't even be. It just seems like it wouldn't be even something that we could really comprehend any more than it could comprehend the way that we think. Unless it was trained like apples that look like this taste good. Apples yeah, look like yeah. this don't taste good. Unless it was specifically trained, it, it wouldn't yeah. just sort of like say, hmm, I bet you that one, I understand what taste is and I understand what apples is. I bet <laughs> that apple might taste good. It doesn't really work like that. But And then it's not driven by the biological need to eat. Right. right? It doesn't take pleasure in that either. Like, you know, those are human things. So that's where... Uh, you know, those things are interesting to think about. But I also just think that, it, you know, I don't think we're we're capable of of creating um, artificial general intelligence. At least not yet. And I don't even know what it really means. I guess that means, right? <laughs> exactly. you know, it's good at everything, but like it has to learn somehow. So it has to learn on a set of data. And the output is always based on statistics, essentially. Even neural networks is like kind of a form of statistics. Yeah. Well, and we and we go down different paths because we have desires, we have emotions, right? So those things are drivers for us humans, but like why would a machine want to learn anything if it wasn't prompted to do so by a human? Yeah. So anyways, I think I think AI is going to be a good assistant and I guess, you know, the future may shock all of us, but <laughs> and yeah. hopefully, you know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But Michael, I, your series sounds great. I want to watch it and I want my kids to watch it, most importantly. <laughs> How can I watch your series? So we'll give you a link so that you can share that with your audience. And when's it going to be available? So people can sign up to watch it starting on the 8th and then the first episode drops on the 23rd. And can I ask to my listeners, do we get like a discount? What's yeah. the cost to watch the, this docuseries? It's free. It's free. You can watch it. So every episode's up for free for 24 hours. And then we'll do like a binge watch weekend at the end of that. That's supposed to be a surprise, but I just gave it away. Um, so yeah, but people can watch it for free. And then we do have the option to buy it for on-demand viewing. If they do, then like, you know, we toss in just a ton of bonuses and we can get you like a 50% off discount on it and all those kind of things. But we toss in just a ton of educational resources that go along with it if you decide to invest. But you don't have to. Like we give it away for free. There's enough people who will buy it that it'll make it a profitable event. But also like just getting the information out there where it can help change people's lives. That's a big motivator for me and for my partners in this venture as well. Well, that's great. I'm so excited because this is, I mean, we even have a sub-series, Side Hustle Fridays, where we talk about side hustles. This would be such a great thing. Maybe after it's had its run, we could even air part of it on the podcast or something. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michael Hearn. I really hope you do well with it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to force my kids to watch it. <laughs> Shame. Sounds exciting. So, so good luck. Thanks, James. I appreciate it. Always great to see you. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.